Good morning, friends. I'm glad everybody's coming and getting their snacks and getting their drinks. Welcome. Okay. We'll have some more people come in. I know there's a couple empty spots around the tables, and so there'll be um, people trickling down. So um, feel free. There's some spots up here. There's some on the side and over there. Okay, folks. So I, um, I just want to tell you this morning that this is definitely going to be a day that everybody has emotions, and emotions are not bad. They're actually good. And so we put some Kleenexes on the tables. And I'm only telling you this is that I'm giving you permission that if you have to cry, you cry. Because honestly, we all are going to face some type of grief in our lives. And so I hope uh, this morning that you give permission to the people around your table and you give permission to yourself to take what's going to be said in, take what the concepts are presented in, but also take what the Holy Spirit is um, sharing to your heart and comforting your heart with, and maybe walk through a couple emotions you may not normally face. So this morning, before we get started, I'm going to give you some time around your table, because I think it's really important around your table to know what type of grief maybe the people around your table have dealt with. And it may only be a loss of a job. I'm not saying only. I'm saying it may be a job loss. It may be a loss of a spouse. But I want you guys to know what's happening around your table this morning. I think it's valid. And so just share a little bit. If you do not want to share this morning, you can say pass. You can say pass. And the people around the table will um, share. But I also would like you to know, what's your neighbor feeling this morning? What's your neighbor? Maybe they've lost something in the last couple weeks. Maybe something just real fresh has happened. I want you to kind of talk about that, and then we'll come back together. Well, again, welcome, everybody. As you yeah, finish up your conversation here, um, want to, uh, yes, officially welcome you again to our at-home series as we're with uh, Andy and Julie Lehman this morning and sharing their story and, and really having a conversation around uh, this topic of grief, something that if we have not worked through at this point or if we've not experienced in our lives, uh, we certainly uh, will at some point. And so we really feel that this is uh, a necessary thing to talk about maybe what is what has already happened in life or in a sense of the preparation for what may uh, may come down the road. And so uh, we're so grateful to uh, have Andy and Julie with us this morning. Uh, grateful. And then also just to know that this session is, uh, is being recorded and um, is available uh, in a couple of days online. And we just also welcome all the people that are listening online to this this morning. So... Um, so I guess we'll just begin with a word of prayer as we just commit our time uh, to the Lord, and then we will uh, dive in to hear from Andy and Julie. Gracious God and Father, we thank you this morning uh, that you are here with us. Uh, we thank you for the truth of your gospel. Uh, we thank you for the truth that you have overcome uh, so many things, that you have overcome darkness, you have overcome death, um, and that ultimately, in the midst of our sorrow and our grief, uh, that you provide hope. And so, God, we uh, just want to be just resounding, a strong resounding message this morning, that there is indeed hope, there is a way forward, uh, and that way is with you. And so, God, I just commit Andy and Julie to you this morning as they share uh, I pray that we would just have uh, open hearts to receive and that your work, uh, that you would just do a work in each and every one of us this morning. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, I don't want you to forget that on your tables, you see the number. Um, just so you guys know, if you haven't listened to the podcast, I really encourage you to do that because the questions that we get during our time here, and even during the week, if you email um, Joel or myself or Chris, uh, we try to cover those in the podcast. And it's been really, really good because it's not just um, just being here in this hour is all the information you get. You actually get a lot of information on the podcast. So the number's there. We'll try to see if we can address a few questions. We um, have some things that we're going to cover after their presentation, but feel free to text. And um, even afterwards, we'll be up here and um, can handle some questions. So I'm going to hand it over to these nice, lovely folks that have um, some children that they want to introduce us to in their family.
Thanks, guys. So I'm Andy, and this is my wife, Julie. Um, so I'm going to start here a little bit with our, our story. Um, we were married in 2004, and shortly after that, uh, our oldest son, Micah, was born. And then 22 months later, his brother, Eli, was born. And then we had our daughter, Reagan. And after Reagan was born, we thought we were done having kids. We uh, just decided, you know, this is what God wants. Uh, and so we decided to, to, to just stop there. Then we found out we were pregnant again. Uh, and so uh, our daughter, Macy, was actually stillborn, and Julie will talk a little bit about that here in a minute. Um, and then now we have uh, our daughter, Hattie, who is five years old now. So that, that's our family. Uh, I will let Julie talk a little bit more about Macy. Sure. So as Andy shared, um, after we had our three kids, um, we were fairly confident that God had said, I have something new for you now. And we interpreted that as you're done bearing children biologically. Um, but our hearts were still open to foster, um, maybe even foster to adopt. Um, we weren't entirely on the same page about that. Um, and about the time that we were on the same page is when we realized that we were expecting our fourth child. And so that was our daughter, Macy. And though we were shocked um, that she was this new little life growing within my womb, we welcomed that with so much joy. Um, At that time, our kids, our older kids were eight, six, and four. Um, Our daughter, Reagan, was thrilled. Um, She was at that age where she was ready to be the little mom. Um, She really looked at me as just the gestational carrier. Once this baby arrived, she would clothe it. She would give it bottles. She would change diapers. Um, We had moved to a new house, and she had their room completely um, set up. She knew where that baby would sleep so she could get to it in the middle of the night when she needed to. Um, And so that time of our lives was just a joyful time. We were so excited at this unexpected blessing. Um, And the pregnancy went smoothly. Things were clipping along at a fantastic rate. Um, In April of 2014, I was 38 weeks pregnant and had noticed um, that the baby had kind of started to slow down in her movement. And I had heard the myth that that's what happens at the end of pregnancy, that they run out of room. um, And right before delivery, you will maybe notice that they're not moving as much. However, I was still unsettled by it, Um, so I called my midwife, who sent us to the hospital for a non-stress test. Um, Macy was notorious for being difficult to find her heartbeat. Her ultrasounds went incredibly long because she just was obstinate, Um, and she just had her own little personality already in the womb, and so when that nurse at the hospital struggled to find her heart rate, I wasn't super concerned about it. Um, That nurse excused herself to go get better equipment. And so um, at that point in time, that was the first chance I had had to kind of connect with Andy about what was going on. Um, He very clearly was upset. Um, I was just kind of in this place of being naive. And of course, everything's fine. It's just, it's it's the equipment. Um, but he just continued to repeat, why wouldn't they be able to find her heart rate? This is not okay. This is something is wrong. Um, so while that nurse was gone and, and we are starting to kind of understand and process where we are at, um, a doctor that worked in the same practice as my midwife came in with a mobile ultrasound unit and took his time. Um, he didn't say a lot, um, but what he did say is forever seared in our hearts. Um, his first words were, you are not going to like what I am about to tell you. Um, and it was at that moment where it was like, you don't, you don't have to say anything more. We know what's happening. Um, but he proceeded then to tell us that there was no heartbeat and our daughter had died. Um, that was the moment that crushing grief entered our world. We had experienced grief in the past, um, but never like this. And instantly... We experienced grief very differently. Um, I was immediately paralyzed. Um, I'm the one laying on the bed. Um, I remember thinking, I have to do something 
to let everybody else in the room know that I'm, I'm still here, that I'm understanding what's happening. And so I had to think through the process of lifting my arm up to cover my mouth. Um, and that's about as far as I got. I was just so paralyzed. Andy, on the other hand, immediately um, had a very external outward emotional reaction. And that kind of carried on through, I would say, the first at least six months of our grief, where I was very inwardly focused, um, very paralyzed. Andy was very active, um, very outwardly emotional. Um, So when we talk about grief, I think it's helpful for us to put in a few parameters. And that's really our aim for this morning, um, is to make sure that we're all speaking the same language, that when we talk about grief, we're, we're saying the same things. So um, I think it's super important for us to have a good definition of what is grief. All right, what is grief? Grief is the systemic response caused by a loss or the end of or change in a familiar pattern or behavior. And by systemic, I mean physical, Emotional, mental, spiritual, etc. Everything about your whole system, your body, it, it, grief involves that. Yeah, it's truly, it's truly your whole being. And um, we've listed some examples up here on the screens of things that produce a grief response. And it's really important to note that it's not just death and it's not just sad things that produce grief, uh, a grief response in us. You know, I think when we think about a loss of a job, a divorce, a death, those sorts of things, yeah, that makes sense that there would be grief attached to that. But when you talk about things like marriage, Marriage is generally a happy thing, and yet it, there's a change in your behavior and your pattern, what you're familiar with, and so there is a grief p- component to that that has to be addressed and recognized. Um, certainly an empty nest while you're excited that your kids have grown and they're becoming their own people, there is that grief attached because things have changed. Things are different. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about what grief is. So grief is normal. Everyone will experience grief at some point in their life. It's just a fact. Everyone will experience grief. Grief is natural. When something we value is stripped away, grief is our default response. That's who God made us to be. Grief is that default response to, to, some, to na- it's natural. Yeah, God has not made us to be robots that are unaffected by what happens around us and to us. He has given us um, grief to be able to process all of that. And grief is necessary. There is no shortcut through grief. If we try to shortcut grief, we're going to get stuck in that grief. Grief is a, a process to, to move f- forward. Yeah, and, and when we talk about grief, there's this common um, idea out there called the five stages of grief. Um, I, I think it's really important for us to understand the background of that. Um, this is a model that was um, developed through research by a psychiatrist named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And she worked really closely with people who had been given a fatal diagnosis of cancer. And as she was doing this research, she realized that there were these five common um, responses that people worked through as they were coming to the end of their life. This is super helpful information, um, but we have to be careful in how we apply it. Um, First of all, this was research that was gathered from a specific um, source. And so to take it and to blanket apply it to all grief is not always super helpful. Um, However, there are things in this that we can identify with. The other thing that we would caution about, okay, I've experienced traumatic traumatic loss, um, and now I am somewhere on this wheel, and I'm going to work through it step by step by step. Um, And once I have reached the bargaining phase, then the next thing is going to be depression and despair. And once I've come to acceptance, well, then I've reached the end. Uh, That's not really the way that grief works. Um, And yet we can use this to help identify certain things. Um, What we have found to be most helpful in our experience is something that looks more like this, this tangled ball of emotions. Um, Grief is surprising. Um, While we can kind of maybe say, okay, this is the point where my grief started, uh, it's not so easy to find that end because grief is a lifelong process. It's something that 
will rear its head from time to time. Um, I like this because there's a lot more words on it, and it helps me to be able to figure out, okay, I'm actually feeling panic today. Maybe I'm not um, experiencing denial or rationalization, but I am experiencing uh, rage today. So um, both are helpful. Um, both come with their own cautions, though, also. Um, when we talk about grief, it's super important also to remember that just because this is how Andy and I have experienced grief does not mean you will experience grief in the same way. Um, it is very different from person to person. However, there are some common, especially initial responses to grief. So some of the common initial responses to grief are reduced concentration or what's called grief brain. I know for me, when our daughter died, there's simple tasks I couldn't do. We had to plan a funeral and I had to rely on our friends like Joel and Jackie uh, to help get that going and plan that, because I just couldn't think of to what do, I needed to do. To do simple things yeah. like our kids have to have clothes. Oh, right, our kids have to have clothes. That and and so it was amazing to have people that would step in and help fill in some of those gaps for us. Oh, numbness. Yeah, that's me. Sorry. Speaking of numb. Okay. Um, <laughs> Numbness, like I said, my initial response to grief was just being paralyzed, and that stuck with me for a long, long time. Um, feeling numb or not knowing what you're supposed to be feeling is super common. Um, oftentimes, we refer to that, especially initially, as shock, but it does, it can um, lengthen into your grief experience, and what happens with that is when you're the griever who's experiencing numbness, and your grief doesn't look like what you've seen modeled in media or in, you know, others around you, you begin to question, um, am I doing this right? Is there something wrong with me? Maybe I didn't love this person as much as I thought I did. Numbness is common. It does not reflect the amount of grief, the amount of love that you hold in your heart. And then disrupted sleep patterns. Some people can't get to sleep. Some people wake up in the middle of the night after a traumatic grief event. Some people, that's all they want to do is sleep. Also, um, having nightmares or reoccurring nightmares um, can be something that comes along with grief as well. Um, change in eating habits. For me, it was nearly impossible to eat for the first six weeks after our daughter died. Um, I was never hungry. Um, and when I would force myself to eat, my body truly just could not accept what I was giving it. And that goes back to what we said about grief being systemic. It affects your whole being. Um, so you may experience grief in the same way that our, um, you may experience disrupted um, eating habits the same way that I did. Or you could be the opposite, where you find comfort in food, and so all you want to do is eat. Both are very common. And then the, another common response is a roller coaster of emotional energy. And there were times that, I couldn't even name what emotion I was feeling or sometimes that I had multiple emotions at once. And that's something I think that you don't normally experience uh, in life is a kind of a dual emotion at the same time. And a lot of times when you're grieving, you experience day-to-day, hour-to-hour, moment-to-moment, different emotions as well as multiple emotions at, at the same time. And in varying intensities. Um, it it's, can be a pendulum that swings from one extreme to the next. Um, so like I said earlier, grief is very personal. Um, we can stand up here. We can tell you our experience. We can tell you what these common um, responses are. But your grief is yours. And we cannot stand up here and tell you it's going to be like this for six weeks. And then it's going to be like this for six months. There is no universal timeline. Um, grief is its own thing. And there's no universal stages. There's no universal feeling. There are truly no absolutes when it comes to grief. Well, and each, each relationship is unique. So my relationship with the person or whatever had passed away, as well as me, I'm unique. And so each, therefore, each grief is unique. Um, Julie and I, we both lost the same daughter. Uh, but I experienced grief very differently than she did. A lot of times I would want to be outside and alone and... Um, that's very different from who I was before we lost our daughter. Um, I'm a very like outgoing person, and I love to be around people. And at that point, I just wanted to be outside and alone. Uh, so, and and she she was she worked hers differently. 
Yeah, for me, I just really wanted to sit in one place. I wanted to be really close to our kids. Um, it was hard for me to even like get up out of the chair and move. So very different, even though we were grieving the same person. This is why we caution you as you come alongside other people who are grieving um, from saying things like, I know exactly how you feel because grief is so unique you don't know exactly how you feel. You may have some commonality. Um, you may say, I understand what you're going through, but you don't, you can't know exactly um, what the other person feels. So as believers, we now um, are, Andy and I, we're in this place of, okay, we've had this traumatic event happen. We say that we love God. In the past, we have proclaimed all of these things about his kindness and his goodness, and now we're not so sure that we feel that. Um, and so this is where it got really important for us to have a biblical framework of, of what grief is and how you approach it. Um, and so like I said upstairs, we are not experts in this, and we are people that are living um, through grief. And so I just want to share with you a few things that we are um, having to remind ourselves, that we are coaching ourselves through. This is by no means a complete look at what the Bible has to say about grief, um, but just a few things that we have picked up on that, that come back to us over and over. And the first is that we are given permission to experience the full range of our emotions. Angie said earlier, emotions are not bad. In fact, God has given them to us to use as a tool um, to be able to navigate through life. And so so uh, we don't see this any better place than in John 11, where Jesus has heard that his friend Lazarus has died. Um, he sees the, the grief response of Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus is moved to tears. He weeps. God has given us these emotions, not for us to suppress them and push them to the side, but for us to experience them. And Jesus demonstrates that for us. And then Matthew 11, this is where Jesus is talking, and he tells people, um, if you're being weighed down by life, if you are burdened, if life is hard and it's heavy, I want you to come to me. And, and I think prior to our traumatic grief experience, we had a pretty heavy misconception about this, that, that maybe we needed to be able to, to put it all together in a shiny little package wrapped up with a bow and say, yes, this was really, really difficult, but God is good. Um, and that's not wrong, but God doesn't expect us to come to him once we are ready to say, oh, yes, you are good. I see your goodness. He just wants us to come to him. Another thing that has been really super helpful for, oh, I skipped ahead. I'm sorry. Um, God can handle our emotions and our questions. We see this again back in the story of Lazarus when um, Martha hears that Jesus is on his way after being delayed. She meets him out on the road and she says to him, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That sounds That's really accusatory heavy, yeah. to me. Um, and she may not have said it with that inflection, but as I read it, I relate to that. Man, God, if you, if you had just known what was going on inside my womb, you could have done something. He can handle that. That doesn't mean he's not going to give it right back and say, hey, I'm God and you're not. But he can handle that. He has pretty broad shoulders. So as we come to him, it's okay to come to him in the fullness of what we are experiencing. One of the best tools that we have found to help us navigate grief is lament. And lament um, is demonstrated for us over and over in the Bible. The Psalms are a great place to find that. We actually have an entire book of lament called Lamentations. Um, Lament helps us navigate what we are feeling and experiencing. It gives us words to cry out to God in our pain and then puts us back in right standing with God. It realigns our heart. It reminds us um, of the truth of what the Bible has to say, the truth of who God says he is. Um, it's a way that we can kind of pour out all that's inside and then refill with biblical truth. And finally, um, Psalm 147.3 is such a great verse. Um, he is close to the brokenhearted, and he heals wounds. 
God truly does heal all wounds. And that doesn't mean um, that my wounds are just healed once I cross into eternity and I'm reunited with my daughter. That means that God is in the business of healing me here right now. Um, And it's only him that can do that healing. I can't turn to Andy and expect him to be able to heal me. I can't turn to alcohol or drugs. I can't turn to relationships. I can't numb myself with Netflix. It is only through that intentional um, relationship where I'm asking him those tough questions and allowing him to tell me truths about about who I am and about who he is um, that I can experience healing. So that is our little snippet about a really big subject. Um, but what we want to do is give you a chance to talk about grief at your table. But we, we know that grief is a really broad subject. So we're going to narrow it down for you. Um, we are all aware that the last 18 months have been really difficult. And so what we want you to do is talk with each other about ways that you have experienced grief due to the pandemic. There are numerous ways that we have all experienced grief um, because of that. So take a few minutes, talk to each other about that. Okay, we're going to gather it back in. We gave you guys some time. I hope, um, I want you guys to, to know that this conversation doesn't have to stop right here at this time and place. It can continue. And I think we all, we were setting up here talking about loss in the pandemic. We said we, it wasn't just maybe loss of um, the whole experience that you, of life, like everything got stripped away. Our kids lost things. We said, Julie, you said we lost time, like certain things that um, we, we just aren't going to get back. We, you know, there was loss of not only lives, but lo- loss of a whole bunch of things. And so with that, um, we kind of wanted to oversight. Joel has a good um, thought. Joel, why don't you ask him what your question was? Well, uh, you know, I think so oftentimes we, we want to, in our minds, say, okay, there's, there's a start to this process and, a, and an end to this process. And when we get to the end, the end of grief, what's our, what's our goal? For those of you that are really like task-oriented kind of people or goal-oriented people, you're like, okay, what's my takeaway at the end of the, the grief process? Um, and, and it touches on something you said earlier, but I just thought it would be really helpful to kind of clarify and bring it out even, even further. What, what, are you, what are you hoping for in your grief? What do you hope things will look like five, ten years from now in light of this whole process? Um, so really for me, the end goal is not necessarily the end of the feelings that I experience because of our loss. Um, for me, the end goal is what I do with that. Um, grief is, is this doesn't feel like it all the time, it is this gift that we are given that God uses, that the Holy Spirit uses to sanctify us and to make us more and more like Christ. Um, and so for me, when I, when I think, okay, five years from now, um, well, do I no longer want to be crying because I miss my daughter? No. I mean, I, with great love comes great consequence, and the consequence of love is grief. So it's, it's not that I am looking forward to an escape from my grief. I am looking forward to being made more like Jesus. Yeah, and I, I would second that, too. Um, during my grief, I definitely became closer to, to God and dug in and really like, solidified my faith uh, in him. Yeah, I, I think uh, some of you will be familiar with this. There's, uh, you, you know, every, every once in a while, the uh, the great Catholic mystic of the 16th century, St. John of the Cross, comes up in these conversations, wrote this book that is now entitled Dark Night of the Soul, and outlines this this feeling that chances are some of us have had this, where in our grief, it almost feels as God is retreating from us, and that the, that the comfort that our faith offered us at one point Comes, becomes further and further distant away. And there's a crisis that can almost occur in that. And I, I heard that kind of as you guys were sharing, like our faith was not available to us in the same way it was. And that can almost create like a second kind of crisis within you in a, in a certain way. So I, I, that was just the other thing I wanted just to sort of mention. I don't know if you had any kind of like thought about that point as well. 
Well, yeah, I think what I would say to that too is that that is where, again, grief becomes personal. Um, it is up to each one of us how we then respond. We all know people who have experienced something traumatic and, and maybe they've walked away from their faith. And so, so making yourself being comfortable in that dark night of the soul, that really is, that's fertile ground. So it really is up to the individual. I think um, I want to point this out, and I think everybody knows that each of these weeks build on each other. And so talking about these subjects isn't necessarily just knowledge. It gives us understanding, gives us self-awareness. But what's our end goal? All the time, it needs to be like Jesus. We need to become more like Jesus. And so this, whether, whether we're talking about mental health or addictions, whatever it is, grief, it is still the process of becoming more like Jesus. And Jesus was, suffering wasn't far from him. Suffering was part of him. It was him. It is him. And so with that, he walks us in these steps of grief in our lives, of loss of things. And I think we don't often grasp how much he wants to be part of this and he can handle every part of it. So I have some stuff we're going to talk through here as um, a panel. And I'm going to share with you guys a couple resources. She, Julie and Andy have listed an amazing resource sheet on the back. And I encourage you, there's a lot of things out there for you to help walk through grief. And there's also a program that's out there called Grief Share. And you guys, I just want you to know, my mother-in-law gave me her grief share book to give me to help understand this process. And I am going to tell you that the grief can be such a beautiful thing in a very hard place because it does, it leads you to Jesus. It leads you to understanding. And she blessed me with that to help understand how to bless you guys. And I'm just sharing that with you this morning because the resources are endless there. And we're going to talk through some of these resources that she shared with me and a little bit of what I grasp because I sat on the outside of grief. Doesn't mean that I haven't dealt with grief. Yes, I thought about it last night, 18 years ago. Um, my daughter is turning 18 tomorrow. And 18 years ago, I lost one of the most important people in my life. It doesn't mean that I did it I don't still feel that grief. I lost my grandmother who I shared a birthday with real suddenly from a heart attack. And if you don't know this, that it was my dad's mom and she was the final in our family. And with that loss, it, it left my dad kind of the orphan in a way, but God gave us grace. And that's why we named her Grace. Because it helped us transition our whole entire family into a whole new season. And I believe God does these things. And so I just share this from my experience with, with grief. And so I want to point out, and this is what we're going to talk through, is that Andy said that there is no shortcuts in grief. There are no shortcuts. We can't take a shortcut. So Andy, Julie, did you ever want to take the shortcut in grieving? Yeah, I think um, for me, there was never a, a point in time where I've been like, oh, yeah, I just think I'm going to do this and that's going to bypass all that. But there are very clear moments where I've been like, I don't think I can continue to do this. And I just want to give up. I just want to wall off my heart, um, set all these feelings to the side, um, and just not deal with them. Um, and so I don't know if that's necessarily a shortcut, but that has been kind of my response to the, the magnitude um, of all of it. Um, I have been in grief long enough now to realize that that's impossible. I can't, I can't do that. I can't just shut that off. Um, but yeah, that kind of has been my, my take. Yeah, I, I don't know that I necessarily tried to take a shortcut either because um, I realized you kind of got to go through the grief in order to, to move forward. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it's definitely hard and it makes you want to take shortcuts. Um, it, it was hard for me to be grieving myself, but then also being a father to, you know, my three living kids at the time, um, as well as being a support for Julie. And, and sometimes that was, there's times that you just wanted to shut down, but you knew you couldn't. 
So I want to share it with you. You can take your pens out. You can write. And this is some tips from the Grief Share Workbook for those that are grieving, okay? If you are not sure how to release your emotions and grief, one, write your story down. Write a story, write a letter to the person, people around you, to God. Second, tell others how much your loved one meant to you and how your grief is affecting you. You have to talk to others. Julie, you said it was really important for you to, to do that, even though you wanted to. Yeah, um, and I wanted to speak a little bit. Um, the type of grief, the type of loss um, can make it really difficult to, to talk to other people. Um, we were never issued a birth certificate for our daughter. Um, for all intents and purposes, she was never a fully living human being. And that makes it really hard to open up. Um, we hear all the time, well, we only had a miscarriage. And so we don't know. There's no only. Um, you, your loss is your loss. And there's no hierarchy in grief. And you might catch flack for it but talk about your loved one. If you know somebody who is missing a loved one, use their name. People, people who are grieving long to hear their loved one's name spoken. If you know somebody's going through a really hard time, ask them about it. They may say, I, I don't want to talk about it today, but they will respect you because you asked. Talk about it. I was going to say, for, for us, we had a really group, good, close group of friends um, and, you know, Joel would ask me, how are you doing? And like, sometimes I couldn't answer that, but I was appreciative that you asked that. And to know when people ask you, it's, it's always hard. Okay, do they, do they really want to know how I'm doing or are they just looking, you know, for me to say, oh, I'm okay? Um, know who those people are that you can really truly confide in and, and talk to. And it, it's okay also to have some boundaries there initially. I, I'll just be clear. One boundary that I proactively did for Andy and Julie is when I preached uh, Macy's funeral service, which is the hardest. Sur- I, and you understand when I say I hope I, I will do it again if I have to, but I hope I never have to do a service like that again in my life. Um, what I just simply said to people is, here's their story. Don't ask them about it. And, and the reason being is I didn't want them to have a receiving line of 300 people walking by asking again and again and again, what happened, what happened, what happened? Because at the time, I mean, there was a, there was a degree of mystery around what, what caused this. There, it, was, it was just so much was unknown. But it was okay in that season to simply say, for, for me as a friend, as an outside person to say, here's what happened. Uh, if you, because here's the deal, people also sometimes are just morbidly curious about these things, and and I understand that. Uh, but initial boundaries are okay. Uh, that is, it is okay to have those things, and uh, and 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 just to be to be aware of it. So there's a good a good balance, I guess. I think um, the next point that the grief shared book gives us is both sides. There's two sides here. Is one they tell the person read some cards that are sent to you. So who sends the cards? Do you guys get what I'm saying? You that are experiencing grief, read the cards that people send to you over and over. And I know this, this is a huge deal. It's, it gives comfort. It gives um, perspective. But also those walking with people with grief, send a card. Send a note. Let them know. Maybe it can even be a digital note. Let them know that you're thinking about them. And then also a scrapbook and making um, a way to keep your memories of this person. And um, did you guys uh, use a lot of pictures? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, um, I, for me, I had the experience of Macy being alive. I felt her movements. Um, and while our kids felt her movements from the outside, it is truly through the photos that we have of her that they have been able to build a relationship with her and to know um, who she is. And so that has been tremendously helpful. Um, we know it's hard to look at pictures of a dead baby, but ask because she is still our baby. She is still your friend's baby. Ask, who did she look like? Who is the baby named after? Ask the same ki- kinds of questions that you would ask if their baby was born alive. Um, because those things help us 
make her a reality. Um, and they will help your friends make their loved one a reality as well. Well, as we were finishing this part and a question came in, and I want you guys to know that we're going we're gonna to switch gears from the griever to those supporting the grief um, that is happening around um, in, in someone. So relationships outside yourself during grief are hard. We already talked about that. You guys kind of said that a little bit. So we're going to kind of talk through a list of what to do if you're supporting. How, how do we be a comforter? How do we um, go out of our way to meet somebody in grief? And I know that um, there's some definite um, list here, but I want to first bring to you guys, what was one of your main ways that people gave to you in grief? And then we'll go through the list that's kind of recommended. Um, there are so many ways we were loved and are continuing to be loved so well in our grief. We have an incredible community that has come around us and has loved us really well. Um, for us, because we had older children that were suddenly dealing with the loss of a sibling that they kind of sort of knew who they held in the hospital, but those concrete understandings of, of death were not completely solidified. And now we don't really have mom and dad 100% there to help shepherd and guide through all of this, um, for us, people that came alongside our own kids was probably the most helpful thing. Seeing our friends love our kids and, and take our kids out for ice cream. We don't even need to like do anything major, just come alongside, love our kids, encourage our kids, um, be there as a listening ear, um, for our kids. That's one, one really great way. But I think, too, like, you can remember that us as parents are not the only ones that we're grieving. Like, my parents, Julia's parents, Joel and Jackie, like, everyone who expected this baby to come out alive are grieving. So I would just say remember. Yeah, it, yeah, we... Yeah. Sorry. No. Uh, we carried the weight of the grief of our kids, of our parents, I mean, of our friends. We grieved because they were grieving, too. And so, and so for other people to acknowledge that this was not just an Andy and Julie thing, that it was a whole community that was grieving was also incredibly helpful. Right. And so that was number one to do for the people around you that are experiencing grief. Talk about the loss. Name the person by name. Share memories. And then the next, be a quiet listener. I like this. Let me talk about my loved one and share memories. Man, sometimes you just need to sit and listen, sit and hear. This is... This is huge. We cannot ignore grief. We can't ignore the loss. In our culture today, okay, we get through the funeral, we take the casseroles, we um, go to the burial site, and we close the door on that day. But that's not the end. The ignoring of, uh, of, of grief in the holiday season, all that, it just makes it worse. We cannot ignore if I'm sad, let me be sad. Um, I asked Manessa this. Um, I asked her because she's not here today, and I asked her, okay, Manessa, tell me from your um, counseling perspective about grief, and she said this is the only time that depression is okay. Do you get what I'm saying here? Let the person be sad, and I think sometimes we want to hurry them and not allow that yeah, happen. yeah. Or even if we if we um, maybe are okay with their sadness, we kind of have this tendency to want to explain um, the loss, <laughs> to apply some sort of meaning. Especially as Christians, I mean, we believe that God does things purposefully. Um, but for the person who is sad, being told, "Well, you know, there is good that is coming from this," oh, that's really hard. That's a lot to carry. Yeah. Avoid avoid things like. God needed one more angel up in heaven or, 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 okay, brothers and sisters, at least, at least in this moment, if I accomplish nothing else today, don't say something dumb like that uh, <laughs> to I, people I, that are great. I, I would say like to that point about listening, like that is the best thing. Like if, if you just sit and listen to how I'm feeling, if I have to rant that I'm angry, like let me rant. And know that we all say dumb things. Even <laughs> after having experienced this, I still say dumb things. But then have have the humility to go back and say, you know what, I, I didn't really mean that, or I didn't mean to put that on you. Um, I really just want to listen. Yeah. 
I think um, it goes ties to the, the other next um, points. Understand that outward appearances are deceiving, that we don't have it all together. There is this process happening underneath the surface, and I may not be functioning okay. And I think that we all have to realize that. And then, like you guys said, don't make comments about next year will be better or time healing our wounds. My concerns are focused on the here and now. That's one of the biggest points. We got to stay in the moment. I think we want to push grief. Like we said, we want to shortcut it. We want to stop it. We got to live the moment that we're living now because I think in that process, that's where the gift of healing comes in that moment. It doesn't come with the goal of like, well, I want to be this way. It comes in the moment and God meeting us right there. One of the phrases that um, somebody had spoken to Andy and I that was really, truly helpful and freeing for us was... um, we don't have broken brains. We have broken hearts. Um, so when you approach somebody who is grieving, remember, they, it's not their brain that is not understanding this. They understand it's their heart, and their heart is going to take time um, to catch up to all the things that they know in their brain. Yeah, so true. And then let me cry if I need to. I know that I said that emotions are good. Crying allows that emotions to escape. And I think um, even in the process of the people around you, sometimes we want to hold in and we want to look like we have it all together. Crying is necessary. Understand that grief can go on for a number of years. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say that, that, like, at the beginning, it's definitely concentrated. Like, there was lots of times that I was crying a lot. <laughs> um, but then there, as time went on, that became less frequent. But there was still times that it would surprise me. Like, I would be at work and all of a sudden, like, be in tears or be angry or what are you know, experiencing my grief that just came out, kind of came out of nowhere. Right. right. And this is the big one. Don't make any judgments. Don't compare me. Um, don't make any assumptions that it's like yours. <laughs> one of the best things that was told to my mother-in-law when she was going to face all the people coming and, and, and telling her um, and giving condolences is this, They're going to share every story about their own experience. And she said it was true. And I think sometimes we in our culture, and I think this is why this discussion is so healthy, have said that it, that grief just is sad and we, it looks the same. And yes, we want to come alongside people and we want to share and we want to be a comfort. And we're going to get into that, what that, how we get outside of ourselves in grief in the next question. But I think too, we have to give that space. Like you said, it doesn't look the same for me as it's going to look for you. And to just be, just be in that moment. And would you guys agree? Most definitely. The times that we have experienced the most healing with other people um, has been when they've just come and just sat with us and received whatever we had to give that day. A lot of times for me, I didn't have anything to give. I didn't have words to say, but they, people that were not um, put off by that or that were not um, uncomfortable by the fact that I don't have anything to give you right now um, were times where uh, I knew these are my people. Yeah. Okay, so from the uh, grieving perspective, have you ever felt like not going to church, not hanging out with your friend Joel, and not being around people that care about you? Tell me about why... Why do grief, this is very common. This is like one of the most common things across the board. Why do you feel like just withdrawing yourself from church and those people? That's a loaded question. I think there's a lot of reasons why going to church is difficult. Um, But oftentimes church is where we gather together to to sing about how great God is and that we're going to trust him no matter what. And, and for me, as I'm like, was in church with these people singing wholeheartedly these things, I wanted to be like, do you know what you're saying? Do you, do you really know that he could take your baby away? And do you know how horrible this feels? And and so there, it wasn't, it wasn't very Christ-like of me. It was very judgmental of me. Um, and yet that made it difficult for me to want to come in and rub shoulders with these people that I was like, I don't think you know what you're saying. <laughs> um, there's that. And then there's also this idea that um, we come to church and we're happy and we love Jesus and, and everything is good in our life. And, and when you're coming and everything is not good in your life, that 
that can start to play, um, can go down some really twisted um, trails. And so, um, yeah, church can be really difficult. We also don't know what we're going to encounter when we come to church. We, as a mom who had just lost her baby, I didn't know if I was going to be walking the hall and suddenly there's a mom with her newborn. I mean, there's just, there's, there's so many reasons why church can be difficult. And yet, hear me say this, church is the place where sick people come to encounter Jesus. It's where they need to be. Um, and so, yeah. But I think um, it goes to point, though, that we, when we're, whether we're supporting the griever or we're going through grief, there's nothing wrong with a plan. And in the grief share, they, they tell you, have a plan. Because here's the deal. Just like she says, she's not, she's not real sure what her emotion's going to be when you walk through the doors at church. Because there's a lot of emotion in church. There's a lot of spiritual and mental and, and emotional things that go on in, in a church service. You're not aware of that. So have a plan. Maybe arrive a little bit late or arrive a little bit or leave a little bit early. And be aware of the people that maybe you got to give that space to that are going through that process. Sit in the back row, or maybe you know that you see somebody walk in and you're in the back row and you know they don't want to walk all the way to the front, make a seat for them. Sit with someone who runs interference for you. Mm, Joel, you know, run some interference for your friends. Right. And I think sometimes we have to run interference for those that are, are grieving. And as, as people in, in ministry and in pastoring, we know that that's necessary. But what better way as a friend to say, hey, I'm going to meet you at church. I have a seat for you. Guys, we did this for my mother-in-law every Sunday. We knew she'd come in late, but we knew we'd have a seat with her and we'd pray with her and we'd walk the grief process with her. And that no matter what, maybe she didn't come. Maybe it, was, it, maybe it wasn't that opportunity, but you run that interference. You help walk through that time because you know, when you sing that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, do you feel great is thy faithfulness in that moment? Not necessarily. And then, you know, um, let the people, let the pastor staff know. Sometimes we don't actually know, Joel, everything that's happening in people's lives. A, a lot goes on that we, we sometimes are, yeah, are unaware of. And so we always appreciate any communication that can be offered if there is a if there is a struggle or if there is if there's been a loss in the community um that like we want to be we want to be there but it, it's i mean you are you are a decent representation of this community now just imagine in all of these lives that are right here at any given time a loss a loss or a challenge that might be occurring within this within this group right and then multiply that over over several times with extended family and it can become a real, a real ball of yarn to uh, to keep track of. So we always just appreciate that kind of. Uh, yeah, that's why we have the app. I'm yes, not, I'm sorry, but <laughs> nice plug. That's what we have it for. You. That's why we have emails. That's why we have uh, text messages um, to us. So, so tell the people in the in the in pastoral staff. Tell us what is going on because we don't know. We can't assume. We hate it when the obituary comes out and we read it and we don't even understand it. And I, so I just want you to know, be open and available to share with that. So let's move on to this next question and a next, next thought process. Holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, all those things. Talk a little bit about what you guys do in those moments and what you did. Sure. So, I mean, one of the things that we've done is really kind of include Macy in all of our all of our holidays and things like that. When we get, especially at the beginning, when we had family pictures, we took a picture with her, like we had a, her picture or a stuffed animal that represented her to kind of just represent that she's still part of our family. Um, my, oh, One of my favorite sayings is a missing piece is still a part of the puzzle. Um, and so we want to continue to recognize that she is a part of our family, though she is missing here. So, And then as far as like, other holidays go, um, my parents still get ornaments for all of our kids, as well as Macy, um, to hang on our tree. So we, we just kind of include her in, in the family. We try to really limit our expectations of ourselves, um, knowing that at any moment, 
um, grief could raise its ugly head and we might be experiencing something. And so um, it's been really helpful for us um, to have people around us who are understanding of that, that, okay, we've committed to this, but you know what? We're just not there today, and I'm sorry that we're backing out on you at the last minute, but we're going to have to. And, and having people that understand that, and then also giving ourselves that grace that it's okay for us to say, we can't, we can't put up this facade today. We can't enjoy whatever the event is to the fullest. Um, we also have had the privilege of having to kind of trudge through grief because we have kids, and, and they're a really great way to... to stay on task and to remind you it's Christmas and we always go to the cemetery and we always have hot chocolate at Christmas. And so while, while there is that, you know, um, grace that we offer ourselves of maybe we don't feel like we can do this today, our kids also kind of keep our feet to the fire of like, but this is what we do and this is who we are and this is who Jesus says we are and this is what God says we can do. We can do hard things. And so, um, so there is that balance of, of grace and yet sometimes you just do it anyway. <laughs> I think um, this is a big subject matter because I know all of us, when the holidays come around, like, what do you do? How do you handle this? How do you walk with somebody in your family? And I think what Julie said, you have to make space for that person to be there. And um, I know that we still set a table spot and we still um, have that there. And it, does, it could look different. It could have a picture. Some, you know, have you seen weddings that where they have a picture? There's, there, you have to recognize this while you walk through life because I think that helps all of us process. So all of these resources that are offered to you, and I want to share with this, all you have to do, and I have, I have the website, so if you want me to um, share it with you, I'll send it out to you. I'll give you the um, place to find. We have some awesome seminars in our area that Grief Share offers for walking through the holidays, and they're coming up in these next months. And so if you need this in your family, if you know of somebody that needs it, talk to me. I'll send a um, reference to you and the, it's just a click and you just sign up with a click and maybe you can say, oh, you can dread it the whole time, but maybe it might be someplace that you need to be to help walk through this. So Joel, we have some other resources as well. Yeah. So one of them, um, and this is fresh, hot off the presses. That's it. That's it. Hot off the presses. Um, a good friend of ours who he was, he serves uh, as a chaplain at Parkview Medical now was in uh, uh, pastoral uh, leadership at Grable Missionary Church for a long time prior, uh, Dr. John Swanson. Uh, one, first of all, it, find somebody in your life who you just want to be like. John Swanson is that person for me. The, the, the guy just t- teaches me more about, about Jesus like every single year. But he has just released this book, and we have some copies available. We have uh, lots of copies. We have lots of copies available entitled, This is Hard, what I say when loved ones die. And it literally is a list of... It's Chris's book. He's just the kind of book that Chris likes 50 pages to read. long? I see That's, him back okay. there. He already yeah. said this is his kind of book. <laughs> my kind of book. Um, a really practical and helpful resource that we have available here. We'd just love to encourage you guys to, uh, to get one. Um, we have them available as a, as a resource. Yes. Um, so we want to talk yeah. about this little box you have. And this yeah. is a ministry that Julie and Andy are part of. And this is how they came to be here with Joel and, and how we talk through this. And let's say you're out there and you've never experienced grief. And they did say this, that there, it's necessary to experience grief. Because I think Jesus is part of what he gave on the cross. I think grief gives us a better picture of who Jesus is. And in that, maybe you haven't experienced, but maybe you can help people that have or are are in it. And so explain this. So um, through our journey um, with grief, I've become connected with a ministry called Hope Mommies. And Hope Mommies specifically um, is geared towards coming alongside women and families who have experienced miscarriage, stillbirth, the death of a child, two and under. Um, As Angie is saying, you know somebody, you know somebody. One in four pregnancies ends in a miscarriage. One in 160 births is a stillbirth, and it's less than, it's like one in uh, 270 um, babies that are born in the state of Indiana um, do not live to see their 28th day of life. Um, You know people, if you yourself have not experienced miscarriage, stillbirth, or infant loss, you know somebody who has. Um, And so 
Hope Mommies is just a, this group of women that comes together that says, I get it. I'm going to be authentic with you. I'm going to tell you today was a really bad day or there's a significant date coming up and I'm struggling with or, you know what, life is really good right now and, and I see God's goodness and I'm experiencing his kindness. Hope Mommies just comes alongside and, and journeys with you um, because we've been there and, and we are there and we know. And so um, a majority of what Hope Mommies does is connect with these women um, while, ideally, while they're still in the hospital, when they're in the physician's clinic receiving a, um, bad news, that there's no heartbeat. Um, and we provide what we call a hope box. And a hope box is just, um, it's just that. It, it is a box packed full of resources that encourage healthy biblical grief, a Bible, a journal, a couple devotionals written specifically for that type of loss. Um, it also, I wish you were up here, you could smell it. It smells good. Um, we want these women to know that they are loved, that there are people out there who care, that God sees them and God cares. And so we put lots of really nice things like a candle and a really nice bar of soap and chapstick and a bracelet and tea and all of these things. And then also, most importantly, in the top of the box, there's a handwritten card from another mom who understands and an invitation for how they can get connected with Hope Mommies um, and what, what all Hope Mommies does and what we have to offer them. And so the reason that I'm here sharing this with you today is that our ministry grows by word of mouth. It, our biggest need right now is not money, is not um, anything other than friends who are helping carry their friends to Jesus. And, and we want to be a part of that. We, we need you to let your friends know that we exist and that we want to help and that God has a plan and a future and a hope for them. So Julie, just by way of giving some numbers here, how many, from our North Indiana chapter alone, how many hope boxes roughly go out of of this area? Um, every year we distribute on average around 350 hope boxes. Um, like I said, they go into hospitals, they go into physicians, clinics, funeral homes. A lot of times we're just sending them directly to a hope mom or we're dropping it off on her porch because a friend has said, hey, she needs this right now. Um, so yeah, around 350 boxes per year. That is barely scratching the surface. Um, we cover ground from South Bend to Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne alone could go through a thousand boxes a year if we were able to. So what the amazing part about this ministry is that it is taking a, a time of significant loss of trauma and tragedy, and it is offering the hope of Jesus in the midst of this. That's what I love about Hope Mommies is just, is just a commitment to gospel care for people that are, are grieving. And so um, Julie is actually going to be sharing with our Mots group here uh, this, in a couple weeks. Um, and, but we want to make you aware uh, that they have these Hope Boxes. These are, these are a gift uh, that you can give to someone that's in need. You guys have a few of them yes. here today, actually. We have yes. four of them here today. I would love to not take them back home. So if you know of somebody that <laughs> yeah. would be blessed by a box... Get, get a hold of me. And Julie, tell us if we want to give to the ministry or we want to share a name with somebody outside of this Sunday, how do we do that? So hopemommies.org is the easiest way to do that. We also have um, a Facebook page that is specific to our Northern Indiana chapter, but hopemommies.org is the best way and the most comprehensive way to get all the deets. Okay. Can you guys give them a hand this morning? Um, I think this statement says it all. This is hard. Isn't life hard? It's going to throw us curveballs this week. We're going to face things that we don't um, even understand. And so to close today, I'm going to ask that you pray around your tables. I think it's appropriate. I know that you've already shared maybe what your loss is. And so I'm going to play the music and I'm going to finish with prayer. But we're going to um, just pray for the people around you. Pray for the situations of loss in our community, in our church, in our lives. And then um, Joel and I will close it out with prayer as we um, go forward. So pray together. Christ Jesus, we thank you. We praise you uh, for being a God who 
who has, has, has done all the hard work ahead of us, who has uh, submitted uh, to the cross and who has conquered the grave. And that, that's the, the truth that we want to proclaim over all things this morning, first and foremost. God, I do pray for my brothers and sisters in here that are either walking alongside someone who is in a, a season of grief or who is, who is maybe just starting off or, or maybe have, have indeed been walking the journey for quite some time. God, I, I pray for wisdom and, and, and guidance. And for my brothers and sisters who, who are in a season, who, are, who have just maybe begun this grief process, who are hurting, uh, who continue to have to ask hard questions, God. I, I pray that they would lean upon you. I pray that you would meet them right where they are. I pray that you would surround them with a community that just proclaims love and truth over them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from Andy and Julie. Um, and so we, we just want to... Uh, commit ourselves to your ministry of healing. So may we go forward in your mighty name. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen and amen. Blessings to you, friends. Now go get your children. At Home, the podcast is produced by Wakarusa Missionary Church in Wakarusa, Indiana. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and share this episode. Additional resources related to each episode can be found by visiting walkiemc.org. That's W-A-K-Y-M-C.org. From there, you can click on the At Home tab for more information. Thanks for listening.